I swear the music to that timer gets slower every single time we play it. It's not it really might. upbeat, you know? Yeah, <laughs> no I, I've noticed I'm not dancing as much anymore while I I'm know. waiting. So. It's gone from EDM to like slow harmonic jazz at this point. <laughs> it's like, what's happened? Sorry, we're ruminating over the countdown timer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of History's Greatest Idiots, the show in which we take you back through the annals of history and give you examples of people really fucking up their lives <laughs> so that you could learn lessons from them and never repeat those mistakes again. But who are we kidding? We're humans. We like mistakes. They're fun. And sometimes they provide very, very interesting content. Joining me, as ever, is my amazing co-host, Derek. Derek, how are you doing, my man? I am I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. Uh, enjoying like um, you know, it's it's almost summer, so the state's on fire, same as usual. <laughs> uh, I think they actually got all the fires out right now, but you oh know, gosh. it's it is fire season. Yeah, we get it's interesting you talk about fires. We get this a lot um in North Wales because North Wales is a sparsely populated area. It's three times the size of this is a weird statistic that I remember. It's three <laughs> times the size of um the state of Rhode Island but it has half the population mass. So there's like clumps of people. So you'll have a town of like 5,000 people and then five miles over another town of 5,000 people. So there's like miles of nothing in between, like just rolling mountains and countryside. It's like being in the fucking Shire. But a lot of the time <laughs> in the summer, people get so bored that they just start fires and oh. massive grasslands just burn down. It's really fucking dark. So... I know exactly what you mean by the actual fires. I'm sure they're not quite on the scale of Arizona's fires, but still. It, uh, it depends on the year, but it's, yeah, it's just, I think it's odd to have a fire season. Yeah, isn't it? Like, <laughs> that's not something we should have as a normal part of our lives. You know, monsoon season, I can understand if you live in a certain part of the world and temperature clashes and climate and all of that. Fire season, that should not be a thing, really. I, I'm, I'm waiting to the point we get in human history where we have a uh baby gender reveal fire season so it's just it fire started <laughs> exclusively by gender reveal parties that would be super niche niche yeah, but, whatever yeah. that word is niche <laughs> yeah. i i but i i like i've seen loads of stories from florida um of people starting giant fires by revealing the gender of their baby that's just I, I, we don't really do that in this country gender reveal parties which is like do we want to know do we, okay do we want to tell anyone <laughs> no all right that's fine <laughs> it's just like it's it's a non-issue a lot of the time here and also we don't have the space to start giant fires because we live on top of each other yeah it, that would be a horrible smelling fire oh yeah could you imagine oh yeah. god particularly in certain parts of this country there'd just be like various deep fried things catching fire it would just be awful Anyway, away from weird smelling fires. Uh, <laughs> this is such a strange conversation. And we're supposed to cut to the chase with these podcasts. So I completely disobey my own rules that I tell every client I work with. Like, you've got 30 seconds. Like, we talk about the most random shit for the first three <laughs> or four minutes of our podcast. So, Derek, um, who is your idiot this week? Okay, well... You know, you run into people out there all the time that are doing jobs that they've got no business doing. Like they should probably 
do something else. They'd be better suited if they're not good at this job and don't like it to, to wander off. And this is one of those guys only his job was super duper important. Kind of, I guess maybe um, he was the Pope. Oh my God. So kind of important. The Okay. He, his story starts off messed up and then just kind of gets worse from there. He was, um, 10th century so this is a while back i'm oh yeah dipping, yeah, years ago, dipping right. deep into history yeah uh he's born octavian or octavianus wow. in uh 937 and his father is alberic ii of spoleto wow the self-professed prince of rome and he gets that prince of rome because his mother is married to king hugh of italy and king hugh king king hugh <laughs> Sorry, i, I find mean, that name hilarious for a king king hugh it's like king bill or something like that king, <laughs> king bob <Bill. laughs> hugh, well, what the fuck it's yeah now i now i forgot where i was going i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> distracted you with king I, bill i'm I've, sorry well king bill is a good one i like i feel yeah. like that would be a good uh comedy movie a buddy comedy yeah. king ralph sequel there you go. There you go. Yeah, that's that's what it was right there. Anyway, <laughs> this dude, uh, Octavian Octavianus, was born the son of Alberic II of Spoleto, and Spoleto came to power when he overthrew his mother Marosia and his stepfather King Hugh of Italy. Um, he locked up his half brother John the Eleventh, that was the Pope and his mother, Marosia, in the dungeon. Hugh escaped out the window, and he, he comes back later. Uh, to Fuck try me, this becomes... guy's horrible. Well, his mother was never seen again after he locked her up. Holy shit. But his brother came back out, got to be Pope, and he puppeted him around. This is uh, wow. the father of the guy that I'm talking about. Right, okay. <clears throat> the gentleman I'm talking about is known as the Young Pope. Okay. And is... Probably the worst pope in history, according to most people. His reign was known as the uh, papal pornocracy. Wow, that that Be sounds weird. <laughs> well, it it is weird. Uh, back to his dad, Alberic, and his mother, Marosa, who was Alberic's half sister. Oh, Jesus! Uh, yeah, that that's all weird. Anyway, we wandered off. He overthrew them. And he's running Rome as the Alberic, the father of John the Twelfth and brother of John the Eleventh. Do I got you thoroughly confused? Because I am. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah. He's imprisoned his mom. He's now ruling Rome. That's that's the important part. And along comes his son, the gentleman we're covering, Pope John the Twelfth. He's huh. either uh, the the son. Or, yeah, the son, his mother is either Alberic's stepsister or one of his concubines, and he's the illegitimate child of the dude that overthrew his mom and locked up his mom and brother and made his stepfather jump out the window and run off. <laughs> I, I really, I really hope he's illegitimate because, I mean, we say ancient Rome, this is a thousand years ago, this kind of crazy inbred. Um, aristocracy bullshit have been going on way too long at this point. 
And it's really like four Italian families that are kind of vying for power at that time, too. And Albert comes in and he takes over for like 20 years. Wow. And on his run at that time, it was a pretty good run. Yeah. And on his deathbed, he he gets this fever and he has him take him to the the tomb of St. Peter because the Basilica and that weren't built for another 500 years or so. And he gathers all of the people of Rome, the cardinals and bishops, and makes them promise over the bones of St. Peter that that when the current pope dies, his son Octavian Octavius uh, gets to be pope. Jesus. That's a bit intense. And they agree. They they say Octavian's going to be Pope when um, I can't uh, Agap Agap mm, A G A P I T U S Agapitus the second Agapitus yeah him yes yeah well but so that's I mean for Catholics and and at this time as well the the Rock of Rome Saint you know Saint Paul the guy who meets you at the pearly gates when you die and sees whether you're on the list to come through or not, uh, making people swear on his bones, that's some pretty intense shit right there. And, well, I mean, you know they're going to follow through, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> Terrified. <laughs> they're like, so, oh my God, God will smite us if we don't do this. Here's the thing, that Pope uh, Agapitus II dies a year later, and here comes Octavian, 18 years old, Oh, to, no. to be Pope. Oh, um, shit. His papacy comes at the end of what the Catholic historians call the Dark Century. Mm. And they know his reign as the papal pornocracy or the reign of prostitutes Oof. because, um, well... He liked them hoes? Yes. He actually <laughs> turned one of his residences into a large brothel. He was known for betting married women and oh, no. um, gambling and drinking and doing all kinds of drugs and stuff. <laughs> he was um, he was pretty nuts. I got to try to catch up to where I am here. <laughs> so he's, he's, he's essentially Larry Flint. Yeah. This guy, but the Pope. But the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> and he's living that the wild gambling lifestyle, blowing through the money. He's uh, using up Rome's money as the wow. Pope, blow, blowing through that. And he's, um, let's see, one of his mistresses, he made the governor of a papal city and gave her a whole bunch of money and treasures from the church. And then he inherited uh, some more Oh, excuse me. She inherited more uh, when he impregnated her. Oh, God. And then there was reports that he invited or even kidnapped female pilgrims that were coming to Rome and what? brought them over to the Lantern Palace and had sex with them. Oh, my God. And while well, he was busy gambling and whoring about, as popes do, I guess, in the 10th <laughs> <Apparently>. century, <laughs> um, they were under threat of attack yeah the the from... the, the italian city states at this time it was kind of a non-stop war for like 500 years like it went on right the way through the renaissance they were just constantly each other at each other's throats even the papal states were not safe right it's and crazy um i'm trying to let's see the Ber- bernard gar of erva was his big threat uh, right Baronarg, I, 
I suck at speaking <laughs> words. Why do I do a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I think, in fairness to you, uh, these are thousand-year-old names in a part of the world that is still speaking a, a now dead language. So I think it's excusable, to be fair. It's, yeah, okay, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> so they're under this constant threat from this Baron Gar of Irvin, who is the nephew of his uncle John's stepfather, Hugh, who jumped out the window and Ooh. took off, you know? Right, okay. So he's pressing and trying to take back the papal states in Rome. And Pope John the Twelfth is busy doing his thing and gambling and banging. And uh, <laughs> he gets a little worried and wants yeah. some help fending off the attacks. Okay. So he starts making a deal with the gentleman named Otto of Saxony. Oh, okay. Super duper pious leader. Good. Yeah, That's probably a smart decision because at this point in time, one of the options, and it's certainly something that has come back to bite uh, kind of city states in the asset uh, multiple times, is they would hire mercenaries. And the problem is, is that the mercenaries would get so powerful and get so much money from them that not only would they attack the people they were paid to attack, but they'd also then attack the people that had paid them and steal their land. So oh. going for someone who's, <laughs> yeah, I know. So getting someone who was pious to do the Pope's bidding is a very wise decision, actually. Unless, Maybe. of course, you're a super bad Pope ah. that likes banging and raping <laughs> and kidnapping and gambling. Oh, no. So Otto of Saxony is pretty much the total opposite of Pope John the Twelfth, And... Right. He's also 30 years older. He spent all of his time um, taking Germany and turning it into a single state wow. and just kicking everybody's ass. He's wow. the symbol of Christian piety and chivalry. And his prime goal was to resurrect the huge empire of Charlemagne, the glorious oh, wow. Holy Roman Empire. And kind of this is where the second one starts. Wow. And it's all Pope John the Twelfth's fault for bringing Otto in to help him fight off this guy, and Oops. became the Holy Roman Emperor in exchange for protecting uh, the Papal States from Bergenar. Right. So he struck a deal where he ceded a significant portion of power in the Catholic world, the Western European world at the time, just so that he can stay Pope. Wow, that's yes. quite a gamble. That's and blow, and blow, blow through Rome and church's money. Yeah, and, and they bang whoever get, he wants. Exactly. And they can't get rid of him because he was elected by the people of Rome. So sure. um, on February 2nd, 962, Otto and his wife knelt before the young pope at St. Peter um, Cathedral and received the imperial crown of the Holy Roman Emperor. In exchange, he promised to protect and defend the independence of the papal states, which he did. He stayed in Rome for two weeks or so, and right. that's when his relationship with Pope John Twelfth started to kind of shit the bed a little bit. <laughs> the new Holy Roman Emperor started lecturing the Pope on his scandalous ways, and he's talking to him like he's a little schoolboy and Can't just do that. <laughs> kind of, you know, treating him like a little punk because... He was in his eyes, and he wasn't being a good pope. He wasn't following the word of no. God and the church. As I mean, that that side, he's true. He's right. 
you know, you cannot be behaving like this and be Pope, but at the same time, can't lecture the fucking Pope, dude. Well, he's, and he's a little bitch. It, exactly. Because, it well, and then you don't just wander off to go fight right after you do that. So, like, right. a couple of days later, he takes off and he goes to fight Baron uh, Berengar in the northern Italy. And the Pope that he just punked out is 24 years old and right. doesn't like Otto too much now. Mm-hmm. And decides he's not going to listen to any of his lectures or hold to any of the promises he gave to Otto wow. uh, before he left. And then there's a report sent to Otto while he's fighting Berengar that uh, Pope John is still with the mistresses and gambling and okay. taking the female um, pilgrims. And so Otto gets pissed yeah. and he says. Uh, he's only a boy and will soon alter if good men set a, an example. So he's not too mad. Help him out. Then he gets another letter. Yeah, he's not doing that. So he's coming back <laughs> from fighting the dude to put the Pope back in order and wow. uh, step in and do his Holy Roman Emperor thing. And I guess check the Pope because I don't know. I thought the Pope was above. the. I don't know. The yeah. Emperor or the Pope is in charge. <laughs> that's that's the thing that you have to establish right out of the gate like you will protect my lands as a result of that you will be declared holy roman emperor but you are subservient to me because i am god's elected official on earth that's like if you haven't set that up and also maybe said also i like them prostitutes let me do my shit um then you kind of you're setting yourself up for a fall and it sounds like that arrangement hadn't happened so yeah well <clears throat> he, Pope John the Twelfth, started talking to another person to maybe be a holy, a holy Roman emperor because now he doesn't trust Otto. And then the rumor gets up to Otto while he's fighting. Um, he's talking to somebody else that he might give away your earned crown there. So he turns around and he heads back to Rome and decides that he's just gonna uh, sack the city and get rid of the Pope. Yep. John doesn't hang around. He takes off, takes everything that he can get, his his wine and his jewels, and runs off to uh, to Tivoli. Okay, with uh, Aldebert, who was the king Beringer's son. Oh yeah, right. I forgot to mention that the dude he was fighting, Otto. Yeah, his son. Um, Alderbert is the guy that uh, Pope John the Twelfth was going to give the crown to, oh. the, the son of the guy that he appointed to fight. <laughs> so his kind of a shit show. That's incredible. So he's basically playing the current Holy Roman Emperor against his enemy, enemy son. Like, yeah, and like basically trying to see if they wipe each other. They, he's seeing if they weaken each other. To a certain degree, I think, at this point. Wow. This Maybe. is a Game of Thrones shit, this. Holy God. And, and Otto rolls back in, and like I said, he takes off to Tivoli with the son of Berengar, the Otto's army still fighting in northern Italy, Jesus. and becomes a, a, an apostate. So once he's in control of the city, Otto um, called the Council of Bishops, Cardinals, and Deacons, and over 100 church 
officials to talk about the crimes that John had committed mm. uh, uh, over his eight year run as the Pope, wow. which um, probably substantial amount of crimes. I'd imagine he publicly hunted, which I guess is bad. Um, <laughs> he blinded his confessor, Benedict. Oh, wow. He killed Cardinal John after he had him castrated. Jesus. He set houses on fire and rode around Rome in armor. <laughs> what? Uh, he ordained um, a deacon in a stable. What? That's fucking mad. And while he was gambling, he would ask the assistance of pagan gods like Jupiter and Venus. And the 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 top crime is uh, toasting the devil. He made toast oh, to the, the devil. Fuck, dude. <laughs> so like, stop being such an edge lord. You're the pope. Get your shit together. Worst like, pope ever. Ever. Um, He's praising Satan like he's fucking Ozzy Osbourne or something. Oh, my God. He um, hangs out with Alderbert and buys his time until Otto leaves again. And then he comes back in, tries to regain a little bit of control in Rome, starts levying some revenge against the bishops and, and others that had gotten him run out of town, sure. overrode yeah. him, installed another false pope, if you will. He had some of their tongues cut out, uh, had their hands and fingers removed. Jesus. Uh, took some noses off. Why? Got your nose. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't getting it back. Uh, and then Otto came back and ran him off. And Jeez. then I'm going to just skip ahead. Okay. He dies young. Sure. And there's two rumors about how he went out. He either was um, in the act of banging a lady and had a stroke. Sure. I was going to say one of them had to involve sex. One of the two rumors. Both of them do. Oh, great. Yeah. He was beaten to death by the husband of one of the married women's that he had uh, Mm. gone. He was 27 when he died. Jeez. Wow. Um, Good God. Jesus Christ. I feel like the second one is more likely to be true. Like at this point, this guy's got an ass kicking coming. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> apparently some cuckolded husband is the one to dish it out. So <laughs> what is powers of persuasion? I mean, we know that, you know, a lot of these will have been rapes and sexual assaults, but some of them will have been legitimate as well. So his powers of persuasion, like he must have had a reputation at this point. What? How is he getting women to sleep with him? Um, I mean, I think if you're figuring it's the Pope and they can mm. offer absolution, oh, yeah. I mean, maybe. Yeah, immediately after he, the act. He wasn't handing out Hail Marys and uh, yeah. whatnot at confession. Have three <laughs> low jobs. And yeah. Yeah, that's that's what it's like. Yeah, and then you're absolved. Um, wow. So that's that's his legacy then. He's He's done. Yep, he lasted eight years, made it to 27, banged all kinds of people. Um, Might be his own stepmom's sister's son. It's so dark. It's so (laughs) weird. Uh, Yeah. You know, I've heard some really interesting stories about bad popes over the years, like philandering popes is quite a common one. The other pope who had 
his predecessor dug up and put on trial, even though he'd been dead for years. That happened. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that was, was that one of the popes was called Ignatius or Pope Innocent or something. It was one of those names around that time. Anyway, there are a lot of fucked up weird popes out there. We're not even getting on to the Medicis and the the kind of the, the appointed right. popes of very powerful families in the Renaissance era, Italy. Uh, and the fact that at one point in time, there were two popes, uh, one in France, one in Italy. Um, Oops. Yeah. Did was, they know about each other? I think they did. I think they were like, <laughs> yeah, frenemies. Um, it, it's kind of amazing that this guy didn't start all out war in the, you know, in, in, in Catholic Europe, I guess because. Um, you know, obviously information will have traveled slow and stuff, even you know, this is a long time before the printing press was in, invented. But also, I guess his reputation will have preceded him. So I guess states like Portugal, Spain, England, France, you know, parts of the world where Catholic influence was strong, they're probably not going to get drawn into this because they're like, well, you kind of deserve it, you dickhead. So <laughs> I guess like we averted all our war on that front for those very reasons. It would have been seen as like a, a, a localized geopolitical thing. It's like, let's not get involved. That's, that's like Holy Roman emperor shit. Um, but in terms of scoring this guy, I have to go quite high because he as Pope. And I know the job of Pope is, you know, usually given to older fucking guys who have seen the world and they understand the weight of pressure that goes with such a position um but really the object of being a pope is to just ensure that you don't do anything that is beyond you, you have to be beyond reproach you can't do anything even moderately questionable in that position despite loads of them having done that so for him to have gone completely the opposite direction almost deliberately tried not to do any of the normal papal things i have to give him a 90 i think All he right. has to go 90 because it was it was deliberate i mean he got the papacy way too young like if he got it in his oh, 30s yeah. lived a bit of life maybe not been a spoiled brat who's i don't know married his relations or whatever it is maybe he would have been a better pope but i suspect not because he sounds spoiled and entitled and all of that so yeah i think 90 is a fair um score for what might turn out to be the worst pope of all time that's that's what uh i mean god i hope there's not a worse one than that I think there's probably some that are up there. I think certainly yeah. the uh, the ones that you know the the guy I mentioned who dug up his predecessor and put his corpse on trial. Yeah, that's... but did he cut his nose off? I I don't know. Probably <laughs> not. Uh, it was probably eaten by worms at that point. But, uh, <laughs> and just... there was there was another philandering pope who used to throw orgies. He was a bit older, I think. Oh maybe. yeah. Um... Yeah. I he can't... like and he had like phallic symbols throughout the the place anyway there are others you know the guy that collaborated with the nazis in a certain sense oh you know, yeah that pope we have not so great <laughs> um but uh yeah i think 90 is a solid number for what is probably the worst pope of all time moving from a very notable person from you know a thousand years ago to someone much less well known outside of the uk but who is very, very recent, incredibly recent, and so recent, in fact, that 
his and his wife's story, you can't really call it a life story, has been turned into a drama on ITV. Um, I would like to introduce you to the incredible story of John Darwin, the thief, his wife, and a canoe. That's the okay. name of this, this <laughs> part of the episode and of the uh, dramatization of what happened towards the end of his life. So John Darwin was born on the 14th of August, 1950, in Hartlepool, County Durham, in the northeast of England. The northeast, just for people out there who aren't familiar, very, very friendly part of England. It's probably the friendliest England, uh, friendliest part of England. It's right on the border with Scotland, kind of you're talking around Northumberland area, great food, really wild countryside there, really quite cold and extreme weather. Um, it's like your guys' is Canada. Basically, yeah. It's like <laughs> Canada, only with a little bit more violence and um, some really interesting food and massive unemployment. But uh, yeah, I recommend the Northeast to anyone who wants to see really interesting history because there's like Linda's Farm there, which was raided by the Vikings and all sorts of like... It, it was before the French invaded in 1066. Um, Northumberland was the stronghold of the UK, despite London being the capital. They kind of shifted the political focus. Anyway, um, this is the northeast of the UK. It's a great place. I really recommend it. I lived there for years. It's People are wonderful. Um, John Darwin attended St. Francis Xavier's Grammar School in Hartlepool and De La Salle College in Salford, Lancashire, where he studied biology and chemistry. On the 22nd of December 1973, Darwin married Anne Stevenson in Blackhall. Darwin then taught science and mathematics at Derwinchside for 18 years, which is a school, uh, before leaving to join Barclays. He didn't last very long in the bank. He okay. was kind of notorious for... I don't think schemes is the right word, but get rich quick plans. So there's one where apparently him and his much his very young sons at the time went out and they found a, like a job lot, like a th thousands of garden gnomes. Which <laughs> what I know garden gnomes, which he then took home, and him and his two young sons spent like a couple of days spray painting them gold. And they were going to make a fortune off these golden garden gnomes. Uh, they ended up making a massive loss and lost thousands of pounds yeah. as a result. Um, he was doing stuff like that all the time. It was one scheme to the next, one failed idea after another, one stupid mistake. Like he's he's the guy who buys the magic beans, right? Ah. He's that guy. Okay, so wants to make money, wants to have an easy life, wants to escape the northeast. And the kind of the the hard graft and harsh weather that comes with it, but he he wants to do it the easiest way possible, and those ways are almost invariably scams. So golden oh, garden gnomes, golden garden gnomes. <laughs> Could you have imagined anything more stupid in your life? Anyway, Anne, his uh, wife, has got to put up with this. His sons kind of love him for it, but as they get older, they're like, "Oh God, Dad's a fucking idiot." Um, <laughs> he later became a prison officer at HMP Holm House. Um, Holm House is a Category C men's prison located in Stockton-on-Tees, Tees, also in County Durham, England. Um, category C prisons, actually, like, the, there's a sliding scale in the UK of categories. So Category okay. A would be like Belmarsh, 
that's where they send like terrorists and mass murderers okay. who aren't insane, who can't go to a you know a, an institution for the criminally insane. They send them to Belmarsh, where it's basically the UK's version of that prison in um, uh, that ha- supermax prison in uh, near the Rockies, um... where in oh, near South Park. Uh, yeah. Uh... <laughs> Uh, Florence, Florence, yes, 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 yeah, yeah, because we have a Florence state prison here, and every time they say that, I'm like, Whoa, why is he going there? (laughs) And I'm like, Oh, the one in Colorado, the one in Colorado where no one (laughs) ever gets out, yeah. Yeah. So, Belmarsh is like that, that's where like a bunch of terrorists are, that's where a bunch of people who have committed mass murders and all the worst people, yeah, really like multiple walls. They get like an hour out of their cell a day at most, um, and it's it, that's a category A. Category B is for regular murderers uh, <laughs> <laughs> who only killed one murderers. or two people. Regular murderers um, and like violent criminals. Category C would be crimes that are not violent, but still require someone to be locked up for, let's say, twelve hours a day. So they're behind their doors at night. But during the day, they're out working, they're doing stuff within the prison, they may be doing education, they may be trying to reform, whatever it might be. Category D prisons are open prisons. So typically you go to those towards the latter part of your sentence and you go out in the community to work during the day. And at weekends, you get to go and see your family. Okay, so it'd be like a halfway house type of thing. Like a halfway house before a halfway house. So like you're in this prison at night, but during the day you're working, at weekends you're off to see your family. And you're essentially over a period of about three or four years, you're reintegrating into the normal flow of society in this country in category D prisons. There's not many of them. In fact, there's not really enough for my liking because the prison system in this country is is not good. But anyway, Holmhouse in County Durham has a pretty decent re- uh, reputation. It's operated by Her Majesty's Prison and Probation Service. So it's not a private prison. It's publicly owned. Okay. Um, and as such, it means it has a kind of a more gentle regime for the prison guards because there's more of them, whereas in private prisons, there's like less because they're trying to make money. Yeah, you um, get a stack of cash. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So they've got a, a more settled regime with it being a Category C prison. Like a lot of the prisoners are kind of out of work for most of the day, so the guards can kind of take care of what they need to on, on the wings and in the cells and stuff. Um, and as also as a result, because they're working uh, for the government, essentially, they get a very, very healthy pension package, especially nice. at this time. So they will get, you know, pretty much three quarters of their annual wage as a pension every year. Wow. So it's a nice and typically prison officers will get a lump sum and it would be like, I guess, 10% of your lifetime earnings. So it might be like 50 grand when you retire just like here you go here's 50 grand plus your pension so decent pension package so had he retired quietly uh, and he also had his teacher's pension as well and not lived a wasteful and stupid life john would have been very comfortable in retirement in his golden years especially in the northeast which i've got to tell you is very cheap it's cheap to live in, in the northeast because not many people have jobs um, and there's a lot of farmland, so there's an abundance of food and really good seafood as well. So, unfortunately, John is a stupid man, so <laughs> that ain't gonna happen. Uh, John and his wife, who was a doctor's receptionist, which meant she also had an NHS pension, which all uh, also really, really good pensions to have because 
again, you get your lump sum, you get three quarters of your, your annual wage, blah, blah, stuff like that. Um, they also had a side business renting uh, bed sits. I think I need to explain what a bed sit okay. is to people. Okay. <laughs> um, a bed sit is basically an even smaller version of a studio apartment. So if you think about your typical studio apartment you get in any part of the US or the world, you're going to get a um you're going to get your bathroom, might just be a shower and a toilet and a sink, but it's it's your own bathroom. You'll have um kind of a kitchenette area mm -hmm. with maybe like a place that you can sit, maybe some stools, and then you'll have a bed. If you're lucky, you might have like a sofa in there as well and an futon. Futon, yeah, there's all like a Murphy bed type situation <laughs> yeah. where you pull it down from the wall. That's what you consider a studio apartment. Bed sits are smaller. You may only have a tiny kitchen area, which might be like a hob, uh, like a, a countertop hob and a microwave and a sink. And you are lucky if you have your own bathroom. You probably have to share your bathroom with three or four other bed sits. Oh, so okay. It's yeah. essentially a room with a couple of kitchen bits in it. But it, it's yours. <laughs> you have your own lock. Big fucking deal. Um, um, and a typical bedsit in this area, it's, it's, bedsits are seen as a bit of a last resort for people who are living on the pov poverty line, but they want their own place. So they're like, I can get a bedsit, and I'll try and improve my lot from there. Um, usually they include bills. So your council tax, your heating, your electricity, your water... All of that stuff will probably be included with rent, usually. Um, and a typical bed sit, I did some research, in the area at the time uh, of this stuff happening uh, would have been $250 a month, and that's everything included. But if you think a lot of these people didn't have jobs, um, they're getting unemployment benefits. So they're having their, their rent paid, but they're only getting like £50 a week to live on. Okay. So it's not a lot. You know, you, yeah. you can buy your food, you can maybe buy like a train ticket or something, but not much else. So if you're looking for work, it has to be in the immediate vicinity of the apartment, right? You can't afford anything else. Um, and he he ran these in County Durham uh, in 12 different houses. So he, John and his wife, not only do they have steady jobs and all these pensions coming in, they had 12 homes. Um Despite this, they ran into debt after purchasing two houses in Seton Carew, which is a popular seaside town in the northeast, um, in December 2000. In total, despite all of this money coming in and all these jobs and, you know, just live in your means and don't go insane, um, he owed around $80,000 on 13 different credit cards. Wow. So, I Holy know. That's... What the fuck are you doing, dude? That's... God, think of that interest. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And it was, you know, 2000 as well, really high interest rates at this point in time. Um, so Anne would sometimes have to cower behind her front door because debt collectors would come knocking on the door and they'd stay outside the front door for hours. So she'd just hide, like, in the that hallway. Sucks. That's garbage living right Why there. You should just... not have to do that. Sell one of the 12 houses. I know. Sell two of them. <laughs> this is why I was like, I was in property for 13 years. It's the easiest thing in the world. Make it livable. Rent it out. Have a steady income. If you can't afford it, sell it at a profit. 
It's not hard to do, but he couldn't even do that. 12 hoes, 12 houses, all of these different incomes coming in from bedsits, and they still had $80,000 in debt. It's crazy. Um, I just don't understand it. Anyway, the debts caused Darwin to start scheming. And this is where <laughs> things are more garden gnomes coming. Um, oh, boy. He, he started talking to his wife about taking drastic measures to make sure their debts were cleared by early 2002, when they'd been under the hammer of the debt collectors for two years at this point. <sighs> and now let's get to the main story. Darwin was seen paddling out to sea in his canoe on the 21st of March 2002 at Seton Carew. Just before he got on the uh, on the uh, on the sea, he kind of exited exited his house um, as soon as his neighbour was opening the front door to theirs to go back in, and he went, "Lovely day for a canoe." Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> and the neighbour's like. The fuck's wrong with you? All right, okay, enjoy it. Um, I'll, anyway, later the same day, he was reported as missing after failing to report to work. A large scale sea search took place during which 62 square miles, 160 square kilometers of coastline was searched. And this is some rough coastline. This is very like this is the North Sea, so okay. you are you are heading out to. Scandinavia at this point, if you get lost off the North Sea, you're going to end up off the boat, off the coast of Sweden or somewhere or Norway if you if your body makes it that far. Um, <laughs> there was no sign of Darwin, uh, though a double-ended paddle was retrieved from the sea near Seton Carew the following day. Later, on the 22nd of March 2002, the wreckage of Darwin's canoe was found. The North Sea was unusually calm, and rescuers were puzzled that uh, that Darwin could have gotten into trouble in such conditions. They later theorized that he'd had a heart attack while at sea. After Seems days, of, yeah, no, it, it happens. I mean, he was at this point; he's in his fifties. He's not a particularly healthy guy. He's like kind of prime candidate. He's got a stressful job because being a prison guard is, uh, as you know, is it's not the easiest job in the world at all no, no it so kind of sucks yeah it does suck so <laughs> you know he is a prime and he's you know, he's got debts and stuff he's a prime candidate for a heart attack so doing rigorous exercise miles out at sea in you know good conditions but it's still it's, it's middle of the fucking ocean it's not great a heart attack sounds plausible right yes absolutely. Um, yeah so um let's see they theorized he'd had a heart attack after days of searching the area the massive search that had cost nearly $500,000 was called off and the family threw a wreath into the sea. It was um, Anne and her two sons. <clears throat> Anne was supported by her entire family, particularly by her two sons, who were uh, round at her house multiple times a week, despite both living over 50 miles away. And because it's the northeast, 50 miles, like that's a long journey. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to head up this our version of the interstate and be there in like 30 minutes or something like that's like a two and a half hour drive okay. sort of thing sometimes like it's a winding series of roads um unfortunately under british law Anne would have to wait seven years before Holy john crap. could be i know could be declared dead you have to wait a long time when people go missing with nobody for them to be declared dead because they're That's... worried that they'll just show up somewhere and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm fine. I just didn't report it to the police or whatever. But yeah, seven years. Um, with the debt collector still knocking at her door, 
and pressured the police and the local coroner to declare John dead. And after two years, was granted her wish when the coroner recorded an open verdict, allowing Anne to collect on John's four hundred thousand dollar life insurance policy. That's uh-huh. a shitload of money. Also, as a result, <laughs> as a result of his death, it was included in the life insurance policy. All of the mortgages were paid off. Oh, uh, perfect! I know. So the debt's gone, the mortgages are done, and she's got four hundred thousand dollars. Nice. <laughs> What's so she going to do? I know <laughs> two hundred fifty thousand pounds. This is where your suspicions are confirmed. Um, during the years that Darwin was presumed dead. He lived for some time in a bedsit next door in the family home. <laughs> the next he was at home. House. He was at home the whole fucking time. So they bought, in, in Seton Carew in this place, they bought two quite large properties next to each other. They were terraced houses over four floors. So you've got like a basement, entry level, first floor, second floor, all the way up. That's how we deal with it in the UK. And okay. they were next to each other. But they, the, the particular quirk of the design the um the homes for some reason these houses had um doors in the walls between each property so you could slip through one and be in number four instead of number three whatever oh, road so it was like a hotel where you get yeah. the little between doors exactly Only between floors rooms on floors and these are bedsits so they're supposed to be entirely self-contained apartments so he was slipping through he was living next door he'd grown a beard he put on fucked up glasses (laughs) (laughs) he walked with a stick pretended to be an old man and he was just popping through every day oh my goodness tell to live there crazy shit um, he then secretly moved back in with his wife, Anne, in February 2003. And whenever the kids would come over, he'd just pop through a secret door and go next door and just hide out there for a few hours. Like an episode of Scooby-Doo. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> Sometime that year, a tenant of the block of uh, bedsit flats that Darwin's that Darwin's owns, so number four, Lee Wadrup, recognized Darwin and asked him, aren't you supposed to be dead? Uh, to which Darwin replied, instead of like trying to style it out and being like, oh, I get that all the time. No, I'm not John Darwin. I'm just like an old man. And we might have been distant cousins. Who knows? I don't know where my family tree is. But you'd style that shit out, right? right. You'd like fake it out. But he, his response was, don't tell anyone about this. <laughs> <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> Stupid bastard. Um, uh... Woodrup later said that he had not told the police because he didn't want to get involved. I can't believe that worked. I don't tell anyone. Okay. That's all right. Yeah. It's not none of my business. What do I care? Um but at least got free rent. Hey, well, I know. I'm living here for free, dude. I know, yeah. I, I won't tell anyone, but yeah, I'm living here for free and you bring me food. Um <laughs> it's 2004. The Darwins decided to move abroad, initially considering Cyprus. John Darwin applied for and obtained a passport using the false name John Jones. So he's uh he's the Marshal okay. Manhunter now. Um, John Jones, a name he took from a dead baby in a move. I know he he'd gone through records and found like a, a baby that died after a, like a month or something, and just assumed its identity. A move straight out of a book that was a favorite of his, The Day of the Jackal. Which oh. uh, I don't know if if you've ever seen the film that was remade with Bruce Willis in the early two thousands or late nineties. I can't remember. Um, the Day of the Jackal, the original film. Is brilliant. It's about uh, an attempt to kill the French president, and um, it's it's really good. It's a really good spy 
film from like the seventies or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, so he he. He'd taken this name, John Jones. He'd registered, got himself a new passport, new birth certificate, all of that. But amazingly, he decided to use his true home address as where he was living as John Jones. Stupidest fucking decision. Well, hold on now, because I was going to say, when he moved back in with his wife, did he do it as her new second husband? Nobody knew. He was just like, I'll move in, but whenever anyone comes over, I'll go around next door. Uh, so. See, now he could have he could have made it more plausible with the yeah. using his own name as just being the next husband. She's got a type, you know. Well, yeah, but like <laughs> <laughs> then you've got to, then you've got to invite the kids around, and the kids are going to be like, "That's our fucking father." Don't. No, it's <laughs> not. No, it's not. <laughs> Come and give me a hug, son. It's like you even smell like him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it wouldn't have fooled anyone. Um, the couple visited Cyprus in November 2004 to investigate buying property there, but couldn't find anything they liked. Also, Cyprus is quite expensive because it's like uh, it's an expat part of the world, so a lot of British citizens live there. Um, also, the, Cyprus is an interesting place. Um, no extradition treaties in really? Cyprus. Yeah, um, Cyprus is like there's there's a whole because like part half of Cyprus is Greek and the other half is Turkish. There's a whole like dispute going on there, and a lot of people when they flee the UK, they used to go to Cyprus or Spain because there were like no extradition treaties with the UK. So they're looking really specifically here at places where they're like it's warm and also it's dodgy as fuck. So <laughs> kind of amazing. So like Argentina. Um, yeah, exactly. It's the boys from Brazil. Um, in May 2005, an angler, uh, Matt Outy, claimed to have met Darwin, who was going under the name John Williams, at a lake near Penzance, Cornwall. When back at home, Darwin is reported to have spent most of his time on the internet, where he played Second Life. Um, <laughs> Which is hilarious. Inception stuff. I know. It's (laughs) hilarious. Uh, Where he encountered a woman from Kansas in the US. He almost immediately flew out to meet her. I should point out that John was a uh, a really bad philanderer. And this woman managed to con him out of something like £50,000. About $80,000. Like some sort of story about starting a horse ranch or some shit. And she, it was the honey trap thing basically it's like a catfish honey trap he got catfish basically he got ah. out there had a bunch <laughs> of sex with a woman and lost a shitload of money and then came back with his tail tucked between his legs to his wife um by november darwin was back in the uk and flew from newcastle to gibraltar and then traveled to el puerto de santa maria to view a forty-five thousand pound 42 foot 13 meter catamaran that he was considering buying from boat dealer Robert Hopkin is, I mean, it's a step up from a fucked up canoe. Isn't yes. It, really? Let's be honest. Absolutely. That's, yeah. You could do a water world thing. <laughs> <laughs> Where's he going to get the cash for this though? Oh, well his, his wife's got the cash, right? So oh, okay. remember all of that, like $400,000. I forgot. She's got from his life insurance. So they're like, Ooh, let's, let's spread it around a little bit. Uh, <laughs> the following month, and returned to the UK to sell her home while Darwin remained in Panama. They're now looking at Panama. In May 2007, the couple purchased a £200,000 tropical estate in the village of Escobal, Cologne, Panama, Canada, 
uh, near the Panama <laughs> Canal with the intention of building a hotel from where canoeing holidays could be run. Nah. Fun. <laughs> Fun. Um, Careful. In March, I know. On March 2006, we're going back a little bit in time. Uh, Darwin is reported to have signed a planning objection to a neighbor's building work using a false name. Darwin and his. He just can't help himself. Stop doing things if you pretend <laughs> to be dead. Darwin and his wife began to consider Panama as a possible destination as it was cheap and notoriously corrupt. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, hence why if you Google the Panama Papers, you'll find where every billionaire in the world's money went for a, sh a certain period of time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Panama, basically, is the answer. And the couple <laughs> flew to Panama on the 14th of July 2006, where they were photographed by a Panamanian property agent, and the resulting photograph was posted on the internet. Stupidest oh. couple Ever. They didn't even pretend. Like at this point, he shaved his beard off. He stopped using a walking stick. He's now just, oh, look at me. This is how I would look if I was still alive and a few years older. <laughs> uh, if I was still alive. Yeah. Um, newspapers from February 2007 were later found in the boarded up gap between the Darwin's house and the bedsit where John had hidden. In March 2007, the couple returned to Panama and formed a company called Jaguar Properties in order to buy a two bedroom apartment in El Dorado for £50,000. So they're looking at buying uh, £200,000 worth of uh, land. Uh, near the okay. Panama Canal, and also this luxurious uh, two-bedroom apartment in El Dorado for £50,000. So they're doing quite well. And I mean, obviously, they're selling off their properties in the UK, they're moving abroad, plus this huge amount of money they've, inher they've inherited from the life insurance. Right. Um, the bedsit house next to the family home was sold under the name of Darwin's son, Mark. The home had been transferred to Mark in 2006 after his uh, dad died. The proceeds from the sale were then transferred to um, to the mother in Panama. Now, in the dramatization of this, the sons are made out to be completely innocent. Like they they okay. knew nothing at all. Um, and I believe that they were certainly didn't know a lot about what happened, but elements of this story will show that there is some suspicion that they may have been slightly involved. You'd have um, to at least think something's going on. It's like, yeah, it's like, you might, well, actually, this is the thing as well. In in court documents, Anne Darwin is called a um, habitual liar and a very convincing one. So okay. not a very convincing actress, but a very, very <laughs> convincing um, liar. So she was very okay. good at thinking on her feet. So her sons were just like, Oh, and they wouldn't question it because they're like, oh, we don't want to upset her. She's just lost her husband, you know, so. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Anne returned to the UK uh, to sell her home while Darwin remained in Panama. In May 2007, the couple purchased, um, yeah, so they, they actually purchased the thing near the Panama Canal. Uh, in a later interview published with Darwin, published in Elizabeth Greenwood's book, Playing Dead, he states that the canoe rental aspect of this purchase was a story entirely fabricated by the media, playing on the romanticism of his fake death. I kind of want it to be true. I want him to have been like, ha ha, I faked my death with the canoe. Let's rent them out in Panama. I want it to be true, but it, it does sound like the kind of thing the British press would make up. So. <laughs> he and Anne visited Panama again in July 2007, staying for six weeks. 
A police investigation, however, was started in September when a colleague of Anne became suspicious upon hearing a phone conversation between the couple, which Anne passed off as like, oh, I'm just talking to a, a friend from from the choir in church. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Like, no, I'm not buying it. Um, the Darwin home was sold for £295,000 in October 2007 and Anne subsequently left for Panama. In the third week of November, the couple holidayed in Costa Rica before returning to Panama. So they're going all over the the world. Yeah, globetrotting globe trotting with all this money. And they flew like business class a lot of time, first class. And that's like, that's quite Basically. a risk. You know, you get a lot of attention when you fly in those <laughs> statuses, don't they? Don't you really? Yeah. So, well, I mean, yeah. I don't know that the, they would pay any deeper attention, but no. still, yeah. I don't know. Flying around, traveling around on a fake passport seems sketch to me. Eventually, somebody's yeah. going to be like, this shit looks weird. Yeah. And also, especially when you're returning multiple times from South America, that's the kind of thing that gets you a lot of attention at customs when you come yeah. back through the country. You know, people are like, are you a mule? What are yeah, you, right? Why have you been out to Panama five times this year? Um, on the 30th of November 2007, Anne bought an airline ticket for her husband um, to return to England because he was missing his sons, you know, the sons who thought he was dead. Um, he wanted to come back to life. So she was like, oh. here you go, honey. Here's a plane ticket. I guess you're back to life now. Um, on the <laughs> same day, this is weird. On the same day, Mark left his property firm after working his uh, notice period, which is the sun. Okay. Um, following a change in Panama's visa laws, John Darwin emailed Anne on the 14th of June 2007 to notify her that their identities would have to be verified by UK police in order for them to receive now required Panamanian investors' visas. Uh, knowing that this uh, John Jones alias would not pass this level of scrutiny, Darwin decided to return to the UK. I'm going to have to be careful how I say this. this is so funny. Uh, decided to return to the UK under his real name and fake amnesia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Uh, he's, oh, uh, oh, I don't know where I've been the last Did 20 he just, years. Why, I may, I think I might have been in an accident. He had just watched The Majestic with Jim Carrey. Yes. And that's he's what like, I've got an idea. I have a plan. John, this is worse than the Golden Gnomes, for sure. Um, on the 1st of December 2007, Darwin walked into the Northwest Central Police Station in London, claiming to have no memory of the past five years. His wife, Anne, who had sold up her British properties and moved to Panama three months before his reappearance, expressed surprise, joy, <laughs> and elation at the return of her missing husband. Uh, the UK police by that time had already suspected that Darwin might not have died since um, Anne, despite portraying herself as a broken-hearted widow, took foreign holidays, uh, planned to sell the family home in Hartlepool, to move to Panama, and transferred large sums of money abroad. It's like, it's all super just suspicious. weird, yeah. Yeah, it's just not something that a grieving widow does, really. It's something whose husband faked their death and you're running around with him does, I think. Yeah, maybe. it's like, maybe they are that stupid. Maybe we should have a look into this. Um, so, uh, <laughs> police financial investigation had begun three months prior to the Darwin's reappearance, following a tip-off from one of uh, 
Anne's colleagues, connecting her claim on her husband's life insurance and her subsequent emigration to Panama. She was rat out, basically. Uh, <laughs> uh, and also, uh, randomly, John, because he was always reasonably careful when he went out, like he'd go out through the door in number four instead of Anne's place in number three. He'd go in all this get up where he'd have the beard and the old man. Hair yeah, picture him in like a trench coat, looking yeah, like your like, gadget like, with a cane and stuff. Yeah, yeah, basically that. But on one occasion, he wasn't quite so careful, and he just went out to the shops to get a bunch of food shopping. And one of his former colleagues spotted him walking over the road and was like, "You were at home house. You're supposed to be dead." No, um, it wasn't me. It was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, like, he reported it. A bunch of other people reported it, and you know, the the cover story was falling apart. Uh, it was particularly unraveled after the Daily Mirror published the photo that Darwin's taken in Panama by the uh, state agents in 2006 that had just sat on the internet for the last 18 months Oops. doing, you know, for anyone to see. The photograph had been discovered when a member of the public searched for the words John, Anne, and Panama in Google Images. <laughs> and it's the first <laughs> fucking thing that comes up. I can't oh. believe how stupid these people oh, are. Oh, no. Gave... Oh. Just, dude. The photo had featured on the website of movetopanama.com and was brought to the attention of the Daily Mirror and the Cleveland Police and reported, uh, repeat, yeah, reportedly confirmed that the photograph was of John by saying, yes, that's him. My sons will never forgive me. Uh, no, they probably won't, actually. Because no. um, you've kind of fucked them as well. That was kind of one of the things I've been thinking this entire time. I'm like, yeah. dude, how much of a dick do you have to be to fake your death and not tell your kids? I know. I'd I be know. so mad. She apparently I'd kill him again. Him I know. <laughs> she apparently blames him for that. She was like, that was part of his plan. Um, and he thought they'd get over it after a certain period of time. But it's hard to know what the truth is in this in this thing. Like they well, may like have just been like, well, we can't tell the kids. I could see, oh, maybe we could sell it better. You know, yeah. that, that whole, um, you know, three can keep a secret if two are dead sort of thing. Keep yeah. less people involved. But <clears throat> if you're going to be as inept and bumbling as they are anyway. Might as well just tell them. You're throwing just pictures up on the Internet. Tell your kids. <laughs> they, they clearly didn't know. And actually, it's it's I don't want to pigeonhole an entire generation here, but it's such a. Um, a baby boomer thing to be like, oh, the kids don't have to know. Let's not worry the kids <laughs> with this sort of thing. Let's just like, they can find out in their own time instead of just like, why don't we be honest with our children and maybe let them make their own informed decisions? They're like, no, let's not tell the kids. It'll just worry them. Um, yeah. So uh, the photo featured, uh, yeah, the police then arrested John Darwin at his son Anthony's house in Basingstoke. At this point, he's moved in with his son and his son showing his him pictures and he's like we used to live here dad and he's like oh did we oh can't remember that son amnesia in the head yeah. uh, a police yep. investigation uh, discovered that darwin had been using a false passport by the name of john jones an identity that had belonged to a baby from sunderland who had died in 1950 the same year john was born um, upon examining the false passport police found that darwin had made several trips to panama in the previous five years uh, at some point, he must have forgotten that um, he made those trips and then r remembered again and then done it again and then forgotten. And it was just pattern of behavior with amnesia. Yeah, he um, was just on a loop. He just kept know, coming just, back. He was doing, uh, <laughs> what's that? What was the first Christopher Nolan film? 
Guy Pierce, Memento. Oh yeah, he's doing yeah. that. He's just doing that shit over and over again. I'm gonna find my killer. <laughs> um, Darwin's two sons initially expressed elation at the return of their father, but as the story unfolded, they issued a joint statement live on television, stating that they felt they'd been victims of a scam and, and implying that they uh, wished to have no further contact with their parents. That's <sighs> wow. Um, yeah, both sons were reported to have changed their jobs before their father's reappearance. On December, the, I mean, that just might be a coincidence, but Could on be. the 6th of December, one of John Darwin's sons allegedly disappeared after clearing out his North London flat and leaving a notepad reportedly containing coded messages for his girlfriend, as well as directions for her to get to a L to London City Airport. Police emphasised that he was not suspected of any crime. It could have just been paranoia. And could he's like, we talk in this code, I'll leave it for her so that the press don't get hold of it and make our lives any more difficult than it is. But it's like, that's suspicious behavior in itself. Right. I feel like he, he got that behavior from his dad. He probably did, actually. <laughs> seeing what we're seeing now. It's like, Oop, oh, I'm going to... trouble, going to fake my death. Yeah. Let me make a cipher like I'm the fucking bloody... Was it the uh, the killer Jason from the Bourne 60s. and shit? Yeah, Jesus. Uh, later that day, Darwin was charged with obtaining life insurance money by deception and making untrue statements to obtain a passport. And Darwin was arrested at Manchester Airport the following day. Upon returning to the UK, they arrested her on the tarmac in front of a plane full of people and uh, detained in connection with the allegation of fraud. She appeared in court on the 11th of December in Hartlepool to face two charges of fraud, obtaining £25,000 and £137,000 by deception. She remained in custody until the 14th of December, upon which she was released on bail. Darwin appeared at Hartlepool Magistrates Court on the 10th of December, where he was also remanded in custody until the 14th of December and was released on bail. On the 14th of December, Anne and John Darwin appeared separately before Hartlepool Magistrates Court, and they both they were both remanded in custody, so they weren't free for very long. Um, again, on the 11th of January uh, 2008. On the 9th of January 2008, John and Darwin returned to Hartlepool Magistrates Court to face further charges of deception. John faced an additional charge of obtaining £137,000 by deception, the same charge his wife was already facing, in addition to the uh, existing life insurance charge against both of them attaining for £25,000 and John's separate charge of obtaining a passport by deception. They were then both charged together for obtaining more money from a teacher's pension scheme, two separate amounts of £25,000 and £58,000, as well as for obtaining money from the Department of Work and Pensions, two separate amounts of £2,000 and £2,200. They were remanded in custody once more to appear in court again on the 18th of January. They've been remanded multiple times at this point. This is pretty serious. Um, on the, night, the 18th of January, they appeared separately at Hartlepool Magistrates Court via video link and were remanded in custody again until the 15th of February when they were committed to a Crown Court. So at this point, um, I should probably explain the British legal system. You yes, go please. To, yes. <laughs> you go to a Magistrates Court for minimal stuff, typically stuff like speeding tickets, uh, fines, you know, okay. maybe you got into a drunken fight and you spent the nights in the cells, you know, and they decide whether you are going to face trial in a magistrate's court or whether your crime is so serious that it has to be referred to Crown Court. 
the maximum sentence you can get in a magistrate's court in the UK is six months in prison. That's the okay. most you can get. The majority of the time, it will be a suspended sentence or community service or a fine or something like that. If you go to Crown Court, the obviously you can get life in prison. That's okay. that's really really serious at that point. You can still get a suspended sentence, but they they understand that the crime is so significant it needs the full weight of the justice system put on it instead of just like a local magistrate. It needs like experienced trial lawyers. So you're right, weeding okay. out the shit that it shouldn't really go to high court and have thousands and thousands of pounds spent on it, which makes sense. But it's like it dra drags the process out sometimes for years because of yeah. this because you've got so to arrange like a, this shit it's like superior court here yeah and, and versus city court yeah exactly it's like yeah you got your local justice as opposed to your like kind of more serious regional justice i guess something yeah. like that basically okay. um so um let's see they, they've been remanded john darwin on the 13th of march um admitted seven charges of obtaining cash by deception and a passport offense at leeds crown court he denied nine charges of using criminal property these charges were ordered to lie on file so that's like you'll they'll keep these in your record and if more okay. stuff more evidence comes up you'll be charged with them but it's, it's unlikely to to be honest um and darwin on the other hand denied six charges of deception and nine of using criminal property <clears throat> on the 23rd of july 2008 Anne and john darwin were both convicted of fraud john darwin faced an additional charge relating to his fake passport and was sentenced to six years and three months in prison so <laughs> it's a long time uh yeah. british british legal system he would have done half of that and then right. being released on on remand, so he would have served half in prison. So he'd have done three years and one and a half months in prison, and then the rest of it will have been on license, either in a halfway house or with a, an approved residence. And then after the remaining three years or whatever, out in the local area, he would have been like the, the census would have been done. Okay, so, so he um, was dead for five years and then in prison for three. <laughs> yes, and then okay. hanging around on on uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, yeah, he he would have been basically six years. So he's been dead for five, six years out um, under Her Majesty's leisure. So yeah, not not particularly great. Um, the interesting thing though is Anne um, Darwin, who's obviously at the centre of it all, was uh, described by police as a compulsive liar. Was sentenced to six years and six months. So she got a longer sentence yeah. than he did. Yeah, she got three more months in prison than than he did. Hmm. So maybe it's because she's the one that got the money directly. I mean, obviously, I so. it's his stupid plan. It's his dumbass plan, and he's the one who's <laughs> like, "I'm gonna go out and row out into the middle of nowhere and pretend I'm dead." But she's the one who's doing all the legwork, essentially. Yeah. So, so she's it's, getting it, punished for doing more work. Damn it. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like the getaway driver getting a longer sentence than the guy who holds up the bank. Really, a little bit. Little yeah. bit there. Yeah. Um, both appealed against the sentences on the 27th of March 2009. Both appeals were denied by the Court of Appeal and was imprisoned at HM Prison Low Newton, which is like a high security women's prison, which means that it's going to be much better than the men's. Usually, women's prisons in this country um, they're actually quite good, whereas men's prisons are shitholes. Um, the Crown Prosecution Service said that all the profits from the callous and calculated fraud committed by the couple would be confiscated, which the, the Proceeds of Crime Act, it's quite a recent thing in this country. It's only been around for about 15 years, not that long at all. 
Um, they don't always get everything. So that's um, some say a drug dealer's committed of dealing drugs, okay. um, and they're living in a, a lavish house, bunch of cars, bunch of shit that you know, like, I don't know, art and stuff. The police will just seize it all because they're like, you got this by selling drugs, which means okay. it's ill-gotten gains essentially. Gotcha. So. Uh, and then they they usually, and this is the great thing in this country, if you can ever find a police auction, you can get some really interesting shit at knockdown prices because they will auction that stuff off for nothing because they just want to cover their costs. They don't care about making a profit. So you right. can get really good cars for like a couple of thousand pounds. It's yeah, really good. I've, I've seen some some nice stuff at the police auction out here. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, I don't feel great about handling it, but you know, it's bargain's bargain. Um, so both of them <laughs> the sentence. Um, on the 14th of February 2012, the CPS announced that the entire £501,641.39 in life insurance and pension payouts received by Anne Darwin had been recovered partly nice. from the sale of two properties in Panama. So this is almost a million dollars uh, at this point in time. It has been recovered successfully. That rarely happens that you that's, get the money back. That's good shit. But that's then, some good financial work. I, I looked back or I was looking back and thinking like, well, man, if he had that, he just had to sell one. He would have paid off his debt. He didn't have to fake his death. But I guess so he got stupid. that. Yeah. What a mess. <laughs> <laughs> it's so pointless. Um, Kingsley Highland, head of the Northeast Crown Prosecution Service Complex Casework Unit, said it is important that fraudsters see that not only will we prosecute them wherever possible, but we will also make every effort to retrieve their ill-gotten gains to return them to those they have defrauded. In which in this case is the government, so I'm kind of okay with them stealing a bit of that. Um, in April 2014, it was reported that John Darwin had repaid just £121 from the £679,073 that the judge had ordered him to repay. However, that was because all the assets were in Anne's name. By July 2015, the pair no longer had any assets, having repaired over half a million pounds a half a million pounds in um, all the money that they'd made. And that's kind of basically around a million dollars. And thus ends the story of John and Anne Darwin, the people who fake their death to pay off debts and were the most inept people in history, <laughs> potentially. Couldn't I, believe it. Man. So, okay, he's kind of a little bit like, uh, he starts out almost like a little bit of a, a modern day uh, Timothy Dexter, where he's doing oh, yeah. bad businesses, only they don't work out for him. Exactly. Yeah, he's not lucky at all. Not accidentally. Yeah, exactly. And then I'm disappointed that he didn't come back and impersonate her new second husband. I know. I can't. That would have been much more fun, wouldn't it? And uh, God, what a dick for letting his kids be in the dark. I'd be so oh, mad. Yeah. I I would too. <laughs> like, there's no coming back from that. Is there? Like. You know, you know that your parents are never perfect. We'll grow up with this knowledge that, you know, if only this had been different, this might have been, you know, all of that stuff that you usually get with, with the relationship you have with your parents. But this, these two really fucked their kids over because it reminds me a little bit. I mean, it's not quite to the extent, but Bernie Madoff's kids who oh. knew nothing about the scam, and one of them ended up killing himself, and the other one ended up getting leukemia as a result. But um, uh, yeah, I, I really do feel for these kids because they knew nothing and they were complicit because apparently at one point um, Anne made them sign 
um, a document and she was like, I'm selling the house. Um, it's in your name. This is just an inheritance tax thing. It just means that we can pay that off and we're not going to get into any trouble. You don't have to read it. Just sign it. And you and, wouldn't because it's your mom. I know. You wouldn't read it because you trust your mother. And what they were actually signing was documents that made them um, co-owners of the property firm that she was setting up in Panama so that it looked more legitimate. So they've pulled their own kids into this fraud now. Oh, man. That's fucked up. Yeah. See, it would have been redeeming if that had been a canoe business. <laughs> it would have been much more entertaining wouldn't it just john pictures him on the internet haha <laughs> you can't extradite me look at me in my canoe i kind of uh, wish when they got out on bail they would have both went for a canoe trip oh that would have been funny <laughs> the first thing they do they invite the press around to take pictures and like ah we'll sell you the pictures for five thousand pounds <laughs> for our trial uh yeah it's it's such a it's such a funny story it's it, in a way it's so british because the idea that it's like fake the death and then just like get a really not massive amount of insurance money, but use it to kind of go and live a life in a warm place abroad. Um, Dude, but is so that inept. a common thing? You guys get it out is, of the cold, like anywhere of, warm. <laughs> I know. And a, a lot of in the, um, I, I come from North Wales and North Wales at times feels like God's waiting room because a lot of people move there when they retire because it's a bit like Florida in that sense, in that it's cooler in the summer but warmer in the winter. Um, really nice beaches, everything's reasonably flat along the coast. So yeah, and British people have got this reputation where like they will buy a house in Spain, a house in Italy, a house in Greece, a house in France, or something like that. So they'll buy a second home. All these baby boomers and stuff will do that <laughs> so that they can have like. A little Peter tear to get away to for a couple of weeks out of the year, and like maybe they'll retire there and sell their home in wherever it is. So yeah, it's it's like a common goal. What you tend not to see too often is people faking their own death so that they can afford to do that. Really, so hey, well, whatever you got to do, you know. Yeah, just enjoy a bit of sunshine. Let's pretend to die. Um, <laughs> I just I don't know. I I don't really know what to make of this because. I feel like if they'd gotten away with it, they'd probably have a low, a higher mark. I don't really know how, how you want to score this one. I think it's if so they would have gotten away with it, I would have known nothing about them. Exactly, yeah. If it had been like the the crypto lady from from last time who oh. has just disappeared with all yeah. of that money, like she's very good at it because she's clearly made off with a shitload of money. So Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, but these definitely didn't, and now they're yeah. old and broke, and probably living in one of their bedsits in and, in Seton, Colt, whatever it is. Yeah. And the the Darwins get extra points for being the Darwins. Oh yeah, and yeah. and for spoiling that yeah, name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Evolution failed them on that front. Yeah. I f I feel like just because of the poor kids and yeah. how bad they were at it, and because they spray painted gnomes gold. <laughs> that that's worth at least and it's at least an 80 i feel I like think. yeah um I, it's one of those things really other than fucking up their kids lives which is terrible um fortunately their kids were kind of they were older they were like full-grown men they had their own wives they their own houses their own jobs so right. like they can rebuild 
to a certain extent, it's not going to cause massive psychological trauma if they were yeah, it's like, not like they're kids. 12. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like they're kids and it's like, it's going to fuck them up for their lives. Like, obviously it will fuck them up, but they can rebuild in privacy somewhere else by moving into a different job and selling their homes or whatever. But they didn't kill anyone. And the amount they stole was so little. It's just the fact that they were so fucking stupid about it. Exactly. It's because they were just dumb. And yeah. like putting taking pictures and like I'm gonna fake my death and disappear and then let you take pictures of me here. Let I me know a newspaper with today's date. <laughs> and also the way he's like when he's going out for the canoe thing, and he's like, "Ooh, lovely day for a canoe ride at 3:04 p.m. <laughs> on this wonderful Monday." There's like he's making sure that the neighbor gets right? as much stuff in his possible. foot. Yeah, like, oh, look, I think this, the weather might be changing. Do you see that one cloud on the horizon? I hope I don't fall afoul of that. Ooh, my heart's feeling a bit funny. Maybe I shouldn't go out. Like, all of this stuff is like, what are you doing? Why are you giving me this much information? Right. So Got to give the backstory. <laughs> so, yeah, um, a hilarious story. Um, one of the most inept crimes in UK history. Uh, one of the most entertaining for oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, fuck me. Um, John Darwin and Anne Darwin, uh, the the thief, his wife, and the canoe. It's a great little, uh, I think it's like three-part, I haven't finished it, actually. It's a three-part um, series on ITV. If you've got VPNs, try and watch the ITV player. Um, <laughs> and it's it's got Eddie Marston in it, who's he's a very good actor. He's been in a bunch of stuff with, with um, like, Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright and stuff. He's been in a bunch of their films. So, um, yeah, I'd highly recommend it. It's really entertaining. It's depressing at times, but yeah, um, that's them. And uh, we've also had, uh, I nearly said Hugh. It wasn't Hugh. It was James the 11th, was it? Uh, Pope John the 12th. John the 12th. Papal pornocracy. Papal pornocracy, the worst pope in history. It's been a really interesting week. I mean, we've had a very high-profile, almost psychotically deranged Pope, and then just some really inept con people. So um been a really interesting episode. I, I should point out there's someone who has um, contributed. Um, I will be using his work in the not-too-distant future. Um, there will be a special edition, 10,000 plays. Uh, episode coming up for episode nine because we're having a little bit of a holiday. Uh, yeah two weeks off well, i am and you've been forced into having a break from the podcast oh no i know you get time <laughs> off um so watch out for that there's going to be a two and a half hour special edition featuring some of our greatest ever segments i think there's four different segments um and a bunch of information there and also if you want to give us a follow go on social media you can follow us at history's greatest idiots on instagram and at greatest idiots I, I nearly got that wrong on twitter and of course if you want to be our first patreon we've been saying this for so long please be our first patreon go to patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots and you can support us and get a bunch of amazing merchandise for free when you sign up for various levels it's amazing go and do it um i've had yeah. so much fun i don't know about <laughs> you, about you researching this crazy pope i bet at times you probably couldn't believe it i i honestly i was like this dude is nuts there's no way this is real and then i was bouncing around between sources and it was all pretty legit like mm. kidnapping pilgrim married women and i think the best part is that he was either beaten to death by a married woman's husband or he had 
uh, stroke while having sex with while a married having woman. Sex, yeah. yeah. Either way, it's like I, I I kind of want him to have not died a boring death. Like, oh, he died peacefully in his seat. Like, no, he was beaten to death by an angry man yeah. while he was trying to jump out the window. You know, Karma, like, like his stepdad, uncle, cousin. Cousin, <laughs> uncle, mother, wife, whatever. Uh, yeah. So there we go. It's been a really amazing episode this week. Um, so until next time, Derek, would you like to say goodbye, please? Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening so much. And we will see you again in a couple of weeks when you can listen to um, our greatest hits episode for the first two uh, seasons and eight episodes. Okay, everybody. Take care now. Bye.